Hey, folks, welcome back to the Manana Namas podcast. I'm here with my friend today, uh, Guillermo. Uh, Guillermo and I met just recently through LinkedIn. And unlike some of the other people that have been on the Manana Namas podcast, we just immediately hit it off and said, let's put some time together, put this conversation on tape and bring it to the people. And so that's what we're doing today. Uh, Guillermo has a company called Rideshare. Rideshare is, it's like the Airbnb of motorcycles to folks. And so I'm super, super interested in how he came up with the idea, started to grow the business and then propagated it to what it is today. Uh, and obviously we're looking to see that continue to grow, but it's also closely related to power sports. So I really wanna kind of concentrate on all things two wheel as well. Cause as you know, I do everything that's on two wheels. So with no further ado, uh, Guillermo, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thanks, Gerd, I'm doing great. You? Oh, fantastic. Uh, just like you, I went and got some coffee before the show. And uh, <laughs> uh, people people in my audience know the story already. But if you don't, we, we had a, I, I did some work on a Ducati for a customer. And when we delivered the Ducati back, she gave us a Jura coffee pot. I didn't even know what one was before. But now, like, I'm, I'm a guy of meager means. And I've got a $2,500 coffee pot in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> That's very so, nice. Yeah. You know, you can you can pull out your phone and be like, you know, hey, make me a cappuccino. And the thing across the room starts making you a cappuccino. It's crazy. Oh, but, it's fantastic. Uh, oh, dude, it makes flat whites, macchiatos, cappuccinos. It, it does the whole thing. <laughs> oh, wow. So so we're a little on the spoiled side. It's uh, when people say, oh, you know, there's got to be more to the life than, than working on motorcycles. I'm like, yeah, there is. Getting a coffee, coffee pot for working on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. So, um do this man i like to go back a little bit with my guests and and give me let's give the the listeners a little bit of background on where where you come from and and kind of how you got into the path or the, or the lane that you're in today yeah so so i was born in texas but i grew up in peru hence the the accent you know and um i moved back to to the united states for college and um i started working in the auto industry I missed surfing in Peru, so that's how I got into motorcycles, uh, the adrenaline of a sport bike. And the adrenaline of a sport bike got me into an 80 miles per hour crash uh, in, in, in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, and, you know, and that's when I, I could not afford to buy a replacement bike, and that's when I looked into renting motorcycles. I was like, I don't even use these that often, you know, because you cannot commute to work when it's raining on a motorcycle so you need to have a car anyways i'm just going to rent it every other weekend and and that's when i discovered that renting a motorcycle costs more than 200 dollars per day and it's just that's absurd you know so at the time i worked in risk management in data analytics and so i thought you know i we can probably do a peer-to-peer -peer rental model cut the costs use my background to minimize the insurance risk and, and and you know keep the bikes as safe as possible and so it took many, many years, but uh, eventually we launched the company in 2018, and uh, and now we are the largest uh, website for renting motorcycles. And the you know we have more than 3,000 motorcycles available for rent, and, and and they're much more affordable than going to a brick and mortar shop. So, I've rented bikes before, so I know mm -hmm. exactly what you're you're talking about. And, and I want to go like a step further on this. Cause like, like part of what really attracted me, you shared the website with me and I went in there and I'm like, that's a Ducati street fighter. That's a V4. That's an Aprilia. Like if, if, if you're an enthusiast, 
your product allows people to enjoy the bucket list machines that that they've always wanted to ride. Like, whereas when I rented motorcycles before, I used to be a rider's edge coach and teach the motorcycle safety foundation course at the Harley dealership. Cool. And I, at the time, I think I still had my R1. So, but my wife didn't like it. She didn't like sitting on the back of the sport bike with her butt up in the air and all that stuff. Right. <laughs> and so, so I would, you know, go to the dealership and I'd say, Hey, you know, just give me a bike for the weekend. And it'd always be some kind of heritage soft tail classic or something. You know what I mean? And I'm like, it's okay. Me and my wife, we can go get coffee on it. It's a good date bike. But time after time after time, I was either on, if I went through a, a neighboring dealership, I was on like a T100 or I was on a, a Heritage Softail Classic. And I, there was no like, I want to try the BMW. I want to try the, you know what I mean? So your yeah, product's really yeah. cool because you have the, the variety. Exactly. So people can use it to test ride motorcycles. The, the main use case is you're traveling away from home. Your own motorcycle is not with you. And hey, you know, why don't check, check out this BMW and go on a nice road trip, you know, maybe explore some mountains in addition to, to the museums of that city, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. but in the long run, though, we, we've, our goal is to make renting a motorcycle so affordable that, you know, why even buy one? I, I can access 3,000 motorcycles, 30,000 motorcycles. Like, why even bother when I, you know, it's, or maybe not so much for the avid enthusiast, but people that quit riding that, you know, because of economic reasons or, or whatnot, bring them back into a sport and, and subscribe to a rider pass and access motorcycles only when they need them, when they want them, as opposed to committing to monthly payment responsibilities and all that stuff. Most of our mo motorcycles are available for delivery too. So, you know, we can bring them to your house, at, you know, currently it's half the price of, of a traditional rental. But, uh, and if you subscribe, it's it's even less. Um, but, you know, I think that we, we can continue as we scale and negotiate with the insurance company, with the payment processing company, as we get more data to predict the probability of an accident, we can continue to cut down the cost of, of renting a motorcycle until it's, you know, like as inexpensive as renting a car. Yeah, and it's so, it's so interesting because on one hand, you need people to keep buying motorcycles because it creates your inventory, right? But, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, it's like you want to create this awesome service for folks that you know possibly don't have a garage space or don't want to have to maintain something. I think back to um, one of the dealerships that we taught the Motorcycle Safety Foundation course in Albuquerque was a beautiful BMW dealership. It was just, it was beautiful. And we'd be there after hours. And, and so that, that's kind of weird, right? Cause you know, it's, it's like a candy, st candy store, right? Like someone, someone left you alone with all the candy, right? Yeah. And I'd always look at all their used motorcycles and this particular dealership would have motorcycles that were, you know, maybe two, two and a half seasons old, all traded in and they would have 12 or 2000 miles on 1200 to 2000 miles. And, and I would, it would blow me away because I'm the kind of guy that when I own a motorcycle, I'm riding a motorcycle. Like yeah. I just sold my Hayabusa. It had 64,000 miles on it. Wow. I just delivered a, a monster 800 to a customer uh, that had 23,000 miles on it. Um, I want to ride like, yeah, e even yeah. though the traffic in California sucks, I still want to ride. <laughs> and so when I would see people buy a motorcycle, keep it for two years, trade it in with 1,200 miles on it, it would really kind of, at the time, it would upset me because I'm like, how do people afford that? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, 
the average rider puts 3,000 miles per year on their bike, but that average is skewed by guys like you that ride, you know, 12,000, right? So yeah. most people, most people put less than 2,000 miles per year. They use their bikes, you know, 10, 30 times a year max. Yeah. And so, so that's, that's kind of like the, the, the person that should be renting from riders instead, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, 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 you know, I thought about that when I was looking at your business model and, you know, I do a lot of stuff on the internet and people that listen to the Manana Nomas podcast, they know that, okay, so I'm a membership and learning expert. I do a lot of things in WordPress. I do a lot of things with databases. And then I was looking at, at your site and I was like, I was kind of blown away. Cause I was like, there's a lot of users in there. Now, to your point, you said there's over 3,000 motorcycles, you know, available now. Mm -hmm. But take me back to 2018. What what did it look like? What did it feel like when you pulled when you pushed the magic button and went live? Um, well, super scary. <laughs> the the first motorcycle on the website was mine, and that's it. There were nothing else. And uh, but we were really lucky that we were one of the first, and so we were able to get a lot of um, media attention, you know, from motorcycles.com, MCN, uh, Ride Apart, they all wrote about us at the same time, roughly. And yeah. so it created a spike in, in web traffic that week. And that's how we got our first 500 or so motorcycles and, uh, and basically seeded the marketplace. And because again, because we were one of the first, it allowed us to rank on Google fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And, and so those motorcycles started getting booking request yeah um so in the first six months we grew from zero to 60 ironically in in the in, in revenue to 60,000 in revenue and uh in per month so it was uh yeah pretty awesome success now the insurance company though everyone is afraid of insuring peer-to-peer -peer rentals because it's a whole new thing yeah, and, and nobody had done peer-to-peer -peer motorcycle rentals at the time. So you mix two very risky things, peer-to-peer -peer and motorcycles. Nobody was touching this risk. So in order to make it work, I was paying this, you know, very, very niche insurance company and about $100 per rental day to make it work. And, uh, and I knew that it wasn't as risky as they thought, that I was doing a good job of managing the risk with background checks and whatnot. And so I paid for that losses out of my own pocket and my credit cards. Like, I'd, you know, I had like, yeah, so much debt to make it work. And we grew really, really fast. And one of our customers was an investor. So he, he was very happy with the platform and gave us 300,000, you know, to keep growing. Nice, nice. So that helped me survive the winter of 2018 and uh, renegotiate an, an insurance policy and, and get to a point where we were actually making a little bit of money on each transaction, you know, not, yeah. not, 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 you know, tech company money, but like some money, no longer losing, no longer paying off my credit cards. And, um, and because of that, we were able to invest more on marketing. And then in 2019, we grew from 60 to 250,000 a month. And uh, investors were really happy and they gave us another half a million, which, uh, you know, I, 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 again, I reinvested into growth. And then um, in 2020, we were growing so fast. I mean, we're growing 200 to 300% year, year over year in February. Uh, so we were able to raise another $2.5 million from 
a proper venture capital investor. You know, it's really difficult when you don't have uh, industry experience or come from money or, <laughs> you know, or yeah, it's just yeah. it's so hard, but we were growing so fast that it, it was a no brainer. And then the pandemic hit and our revenue went to zero. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's the opposite of what I expected this story to be, to be honest with you. I thought when the pandemic would have hit this, with the social distancing and the motorcycle dealerships running out of bikes, I thought you would have been through the roof. Yeah, well, what happens is that before the pandemic, 90% of our customers were people that were traveling, you know, and didn't have their own motorcycle with them. And so, so that's yeah. why, yeah. And then we recovered, um, but we were no longer growing. We were just 0% growth. And then this year with the travel market bouncing back, we grew 150% and we're, you know, we're doing really well. But nice. uh, yeah, but it's not 300% like we were doing before. So, so yeah, it's... Uh, it's been challenging. Hopefully 2022 will be even better. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it wasn't easy along the way. Now, with that said, we're now at a scale where we can predict the probability that somebody will crash really, really well. We, there are some customers that will cause 10 times more damage than, than others, than the majority, right? And our ability to segment those customers like that allows us to charge lower prices to most people. And so, because of that risk management piece and that we do better than our competitors, we, we are actually, you know, I think we're four to 10 times larger than our next, than the next closest peer-to-peer rental marketplace. Um, so yeah, what's next for us is we need to build brand awareness among the motorcycle community. Most people don't really know we exist. Um, and if we do that, we can probably grow from 3,000 to 30,000 motorcycles. And, uh, and if we get to 30,000 motorcycles, we should be able to cut the costs, our costs enough that, that, uh, that, yeah, that people start really thinking like, you know, instead of buying a motorcycle, I could just subscribe to Rideshare. And, and that's when I think things are going to really take off. For the owner of the motorcycle, the ROI is amazing, right? Because bikes are not that expensive. You can buy a used one for 5,000. And then you yeah. can make, you know, you can make 70, 100 a day from that, from that asset. So if you analyze that return, it's fantastic, even accounting for depreciation and maintenance. So, uh, so from that perspective, it's, it's not a problem. We have a lot of owners that started with one bike and now have 10, 30, and, and have turned this into a business. So, uh, so from that point, we're not really too worried. You know? it, it is, uh, yeah, supply, I don't think will ever be a problem. It's more like about how do we get to brand awareness uh, without spending too much money, and uh, how do we uh, how do we rank higher on Google? <laughs> how do we, yeah. you know? And um, but if we achieve the dream, then uh, we we would also like to enter other areas like off-road power sports, you know, experiences, uh, help teach more people how to ride motorcycles, and and do all these kind of things that. Uh, that are that the OEMs are not very good at because their main function is to build motorcycles and sell them. Um, what we do is more focusing. We, we monetize every time somebody rides a motorcycle. So we what we're building is, you know, we can create a lot of software products all around the motorcycle experience and how to make it better or how to get more people into the experience. And and we don't need to worry about building motorcycles. That's not our thing. So like. You know, we, we can where the motor, where the motorcycle industry has failed to recruit younger people into motorcycles, 
I think we can do a better job. And in fact, the, the average age of our people is like 36 years old. Yeah. And so many, dude, as you're talking, I'm telling you, all these <laughs> wheels in my head are just like, all these cogs are running into each other and smashing their gears together. But, you know, it, it's like, I think about Robert Pandya's uh, thing, uh, and it, maybe it's not his thing, maybe it's just a representative of that thing, but they do the strider bikes in the schools, right? So they give yeah. all the, they, they give all the elementary school kids, you know, a strider bike, a balance bike, right? And it, the whole idea is the earlier in life that we can get people on two wheels, the earlier in life we can introduce them to the freedom of movement on wheels, you know, the, the better chance we have of grooming that person for a future customer in road biking, mountain biking, motorcycling, off-road, all those things. And so as you were talking, I was like, because yeah, it's like it's like $4,000 to donate to a school. And then that $4,000 is good for five years, I think. And so I think of those things I'm like, well, that would be a great marriage. That would be a really, because it's like you're investing in future riders. But then I was thinking, like, I have a DR650 in my garage. I'm not riding my DR650. I'm like, I should just put it on the site. I live in Southern California. Everybody wants to go dual sporting in Southern California, right? Yeah. And if, it, if it's really legal, we allow it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, huh, I should probably just list my bike on the site. And then it's just all those wheels start to turn and, and you go, okay, okay, this makes more and more sense. And from a dealer perspective, like, I don't know if you're aware or not, but I worked for the OEMs for a decade. I worked for Ducati and Suzuki, and they gave me conversation space with people at Kawasaki, Triumph, KTM, and, and all those places. And you said it, a lot of other people say it, they, they, they talk about the OEM as being the manufacturer, but in the United States, the OEM is really a distributor. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. They're not a manufacturer. And, mm -hmm. and people get really hung up on that. They don't understand, like, the company's really worried about logistics. How do I get X number of widgets on a boat and get them to the United States and then spread that inventory out and distribute that inventory? It's not like they're not worried about assembly lines and building product. They're worried about moving product, right? And so it's, so it's more like logistics and distribution. And because that's their mindset, and now because I've seen it from both sides, you know, 20 years of dealer experience, a decade in the OEM world, there, those those two worlds don't mesh well and that's where a lot of that failure is you know yeah. the oem is trying to train the dealer to do business the way the oem thinks the business should go but the oem doesn't own a motorcycle dealership they don't understand how the dealer really wants to operate their business and so there's there's these conflicts so then i'm talking to you and 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 i'm thinking well if more dealers got involved in the rental side of it or encouraged their customers to get in the rental side of it. They could sell more bikes because people are recouping their investment in their own product, right? And people in their region, in their geographical area are experiencing more machines that heighten the awareness that bring them back to the dealership for a possible purchase. I agree. And we are trying uh, very hard to, to work with more dealerships. So we have our, at least eight on the platform and, and the way they do it is not you know the revenue from rentals is minimal compared to revenue from sales but uh you know it brings food traffic that wouldn't otherwise go to a dealership so it might result in a sale six months down the road and it also helps them you know if somebody crashes a motorcycle then it is a sale <laughs> for them or, or or maybe you know it puts their it gives work to their service department and so it definitely it complements the the dealer's business really well
So it is an area yeah. that we're trying to to get better at. Um, but and, you know, unfortunately, we have a very small team still. So we, you know, I hadn't had the opportunity to hire somebody to build those relationships yet. But uh, it it is something that we were trying to do in 2022. Uh, it it the potential is huge, right? Like. In, yeah. How many sales are lost because you cannot offer a test ride because your insurance company has not allowed it, right? Now, a ride share, you know, it's not a test ride. You know, people are paying for it, but you know, at least you de-risk it, and, and it might help you close a sale that wouldn't always happen. I think about how many people, when I was doing corporate travel, how many people upgraded their corporate rental car you know, from the Toyota Camry to the Mustang GT, right? And then they show up at training class because I used to be a corporate trainer and they show up at training class with a Challenger, a Mustang, a, you know, a Camaro or something. Uh, we had one mechanic show up with a Camaro one time. And I'll tell you, man, that the, the, the burnout that thing made in the parking lot was amazing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, a year, 14, 16 months later, I see this kid's Facebook. He's a grown man. I call him a kid because I'm in my 50s. But uh, I see his Facebook and he's standing in his driveway in front of his new Camaro, right? <laughs> He, he probably would not have bought that Camaro if he didn't take it to class, yeah. you know, like, 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 and, and it's these emotional triggers that, cause, cause the human purchasing event is an emotional event and it takes time. And, and I, I always say seed and harvest for sales, right? Because nowadays it's, it's not an impulse buy to go buy a $15,000 motorcycle. You yeah, know, no, it, it takes six, seven, eight, 10 visits. To, to really go, okay, this is the one I want. I'm going to sign on the dotted line. It's going to cost me 300 bucks a month plus 150 a month in insurance, bam, bam, bam. Mm. And on your example, people can say, you know what, before I do that, I'm going to go rent one for a weekend. Make sure it's what I really want. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we've helped de-risk those decisions, right? Like the main reason why people buy select a motorcycle is comfort. And many dealers you know, they cannot give test rides. Like that's just, yeah. There are a lot of more potential sales that are being missed out because of the lack of test rides. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, right? When you ride a motorcycle in the first 10 minutes, you don't really know if, if how it's, like after, it's only after three hours that you really start feeling the back pain. Oh, you know, maybe this angle is not for me, right? Like this 10 is, minutes this is not enough. the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always... When I first started at Ducati, I didn't like the Multistrada. I thought it was ugly. Yeah. I thought it was hideous. And um, everybody in the office would talk about, oh, I'm going to take the Multistrada this weekend. You know, and I'm like, oh, well, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, we went on group rides and I would take my, my I had an S2R uh, 800 Monster. And I loved that bike. I mean, it just felt like it was a piece of my body when I rode it. And we lived up in North and Northern California, Highway 9 and all that stuff. And, and everybody would jump on the Multistratas. And I was like, ah, well, when the uh, a variable timing Multistrata came out, I think that was 2015, had cruise control and stuff like that. I took one home for the weekend and I caught myself going up Highway 9, 8, 10 miles an hour faster than I ever did on my Monster. <laughs> Completely comfortable, you know, heated grips cruise control and and uh it's super it, it handled it was comfortable i rode it for god probably 16 hours that weekend and i yeah. was like now i get it you know it might not be the prettiest bike ever but man it sure is comfortable yeah yeah 
I mean, adventure bikes are booming right now, especially among people over 50, right? Because yeah. at that age, do you really give a fuck about what people think about you? Nah, man. Like, I'm going to ride a motorcycle because it feels amazing. I don't care what you think, you know? This, this thing might be ugly, but hey, it rides amazing. <laughs> it's, it's like the BMW 1250. It's so big. Like, when you see it coming down the road, the average person goes, I could never ride that. And yeah, then you yeah. get on one and you're like, it feels like it has power steering, man. It's just like a, once you're on it, it's a beautiful machine. Yeah. My dad has a KTM, uh, the 1290. Oh, that's uh, a big bike too. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. I've ridden it in the Andean mountains in Peru. It's, it's comfortable. It's fun. But, uh, but yeah, man, for a short person like me though, I, I'm really excited about the Harley Pan America because it, uh, you know, it has that variable suspension that I'm, I'm i hadn't had a chance to throw a leg on one but uh i'm in austin we, don't, we only have 50 motorcycles here in austin if we had more maybe we would have an america but i'm pretty excited because yeah, adventure bikes are awesome they're they're good at everything but they're you know they're bad for short people <laughs> Except yeah. For yeah yeah so um riddle me this what does the future like like if you try to look into the crystal ball you know and I'm kind of putting you on the spot, Guillermo, because I didn't preload you with this question. <laughs> but, but we're talking growth. We're talking business grows, right? You get up to 30,000, 50,000 motorcycles in the database that you can rent out. What does the business model look like for you? Do you end up with like regional service centers or inventory centers? Or, I mean, does it become like an enterprise rent-a-car thing after time? Or do, do you see it being completely peer-to-peer -peer and, and fractured? I see it being completely peer-to-peer -peer and fractured. Uh, the problem with owning the motorcycles uh, is that uh, if, if you only use them for rentals, uh, utilization is 150 days out of the year, but depreciation is you know every day, right? So for people that already own a motorcycle, depreciation is gonna happen no matter what. Uh, so they can rent them out at a lower cost because uh, to offset their their cost of use but like they don't need to worry about the you know it's not like they need to buy a new motorcycle every two years like like uh like hertz right yeah and and so that's why i don't envision ever owning motorcycles directly um but i do ambition like using self-driving technology so that you know these people so the experience becomes completely seamless I mean, you, you go on the on the app you order a motorcycle, the motorcycle arrives at your door, you just hop on it and ride, you know? And that would yeah. be really fucking cool. And then the owner of the motorcycle doesn't have to be there for the handoff. It's all, you know, self-driving technology requires cameras, right? So like, that would be really fucking cool. Now, we're obviously like 10 years away from that, but that's kind of like where I see the, the long-term vision of the company. And then not, not a motorcycle question, a business question, down the road, maybe you're already doing this. I don't know. Um, you know, like how Uber's like in the finance game, somebody wants to drive for Uber, they can actually buy the car through Uber. And then now, you know, Uber's making the money on the points and growing their business from a finance side, as well as a logistics side. Is that something you guys think it would be something down the road? Well, uh, I actually, I'm going to talk to the guys at Octane Lending uh, this week again, because I'm trying to partner with them. I don't think we will ever enter that space because there are great companies already doing it very well. But, yeah. we could, but you know, we can certainly partner with them to to help our owners get better deals, right? And and buy more motorcycles. 
because they yeah. are buying a lot. They're buying a lot. Because, and, and the, maybe the, maybe I've thrown this out. So people in the manana nomas space that aren't in the motorcycles or have never financed a motorcycle, um, even with great credit, you walk into a motorcycle store and you're like, I got $1,500 down. I want to buy an R6. I got $3,000 down. I want to buy a hyper motard. And you go to talk to the F&I guy, finance and insurance. And next thing you know, they're showing you paperwork at, you know, 16, 17% interest, right? When you know that the yeah. in the car world, they're getting loans at 3%. So you're like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Right. There are two reasons. And I used to work in the car finance industry, right? So there are two reasons why that happens. Like number one is car companies in, in the in the US set up, like you said, these captive finance companies and they subsidize these loans because they don't care how they're making money from the loan. They care about selling more cars. Yeah. But in the in the motorcycle space, I think Harley Davidson is the only one that and Yamaha has they have that a little bit in the US. But yeah. it's it's not nearly as you know, the competition is not as great as in the motorcycles as in the car space. So you, all you have to be is a little lower than the cars than, than your competitors. You don't you know you don't have to drive it all the way to zero. And that's that's what they're doing. And then number two is the average loan size on the motorcycle industry is a lot smaller, right? Yeah. So three percent on a thirty thousand dollar car loan, you know, yields a finance company. Um, shit. Let me do that. Nine thousand dollars. Yeah, like yeah, like a thousand dollars, right? In, in 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 revenue. And but the the cost of of servicing that loan is roughly the same as servicing a five thousand dollar motorcycle loan. So now you need to extract a thousand dollars from the five thousand dollar motorcycle loan to, to create the same total profit per loan as a car. Yeah. So that's yeah. yeah. Those two factors just make it hard on power sports. And then even worse is that there's like in the car space, leasing is heavily subsidized by car companies. They don't even do that in the motorcycle space, right? It's just, it's really risky to to for the car companies to for the manufacturers to subs to do leasing. Every other year, they get burned with a billion dollar loss from from pricing the leases inappropriately. And so I, I, that's why I think they're not doing it in the motorcycle space. So yeah, all in all, um, a lot of factors that make it really hard to finance a motorcycle. That's why RiderShare is here for you. You rent out your motorcycle one weekend and you make your monthly payments yeah, on the motorcycle. That, that That's the, yeah. That was a fantastic know. segue, Guillermo. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, um, I, I'm just gonna say it. I was trying to seed my audience for a little bit of anger to try and raise the algorithm, right? And you took the anger right out of it. Like I wanted people to be mad at the banks and you're like, no, nah, it's totally justified. The banks can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, we, we've been on here for a while. Dude, I could talk for hours about motorcycles and inventory and riding and, and you know, the Blue Ridge Parkway and, you know, riding Sandia and Texas and, but, but I want to value your time, right? So, uh, I think there's the seed of a really good conversation here. And, you know, on the Power Sport Academy side, we actually have uh, a long form webinar that we do uh, at least twice a year. And maybe you'd be a really good guest for that too, to help dealers understand the advantage of, of motorcycle rental, because it's all about power sports. But, oh, um, yeah. but, but for today, I want to value your time. How can folks reach you? Like, how would you, we know that they could go to the Rider Share website, but how do you prefer that people get in touch with you? Um, my email address is Guillermo at riders-share.com. And uh, you said you're going to post it to the, in the, on your website, right? 
or yep it'll be posted on the website and it will be in the bottom of the description when this video posts excellent yeah yeah i don't expect anyone to know how to pronounce how to spell guillermo <laughs> guillermo so it's it's a whole lot more fun when you say it with an accent but um so you've been in texas and you're, you're down in you're down in texas currently right austin texas yeah Austin, Texas. So you're down there with, with our friend Joe Rogan that left California not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't run into him or Elon yet, but yeah, <laughs> it, they're driving rent prices high, way high, way too high here in, in Austin. It's insane, well, dude. Yeah. They, they, he seems like an outgoing kind of guy. You should get on the podcast and give him a good deal on renting motorcycles. He, he, I'm, him and his friends could probably wreck a few for you. Yeah, I mean, I would love to. I don't know how. <laughs> All right. Um, Guillermo, thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, this will be out in a few days. And folks, if if you if you ride but you had to give up your bike, if you you know got a basket case sitting on a lift in your garage and you're jonesing to get out and, and twist the throttle on something, check out Guillermo's project. Get in there and go to Rider Share. Book yourself a bike. Get that going through your veins again. Get re-inspired. I'll tell you. Um, I talk a lot on the Manana Namas show about resetting. I talk a lot about working hard when it's time to work and playing hard when it's time to play. And Rider Share is the place to go when you want to play. <laughs> Thanks, right. Thanks. Thanks, Guillermo. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.